Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. We're joined by Dr. Jim Brosnan, an associate professor at the University of Tennessee, and we're going to be talking about the most discussed weed in the industry and also a special event the University of Tennessee is doing surrounding that weed. So first off, Jim, thanks for joining us, and tell us a little bit about Hashtag Poa Day. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Guy. As a long-time podcast listener to many different podcasts, it's, it's fun to be on one and, and be on one talking about an event like Poa Day that's important to uh, many on my team here at Tennessee. And what it is, um, it, it grew out of a traditional university field day that we started probably four years ago doing uh, a field day in the spring to complement our fall field day that was really focused only on POA control. And we, we, we felt there was a real need to do it because of the emerging issues with herbicide resistance in uh, annual bluegrass here in Tennessee and throughout much of the southeast. And we had it as a traditional field day, and over time we positioned it as a herbicide resistance field day, but it became pretty clear that all we were talking about was POA, and then in our ever-expanding efforts here at the University of Tennessee uh, by myself and my colleagues to more effectively use social media to, to communicate what we're doing, it kind of got coined, hashtag POA day, and it's really kind of grown from there. When is it, what time does it start, and how can somebody follow along? So this year, POA day, it, it's exciting for all of us because it was a traditional field day for every year we've ever had it. And out of kind of accident this year, uh, we're going to try something new. So it's going to be a, a Facebook Live event this year on March 28th at 9 a.m. So you can watch it live on Facebook Live through AquaAid's Facebook page. AquaAid has sponsored the event and is going to help us with the streaming and digital side of doing it as a Facebook Live event. And they will also archive the video to watch it later uh, for those that can't be present to watch it live at 9. But what ended up happening that drove us that direction, one, the site, we, we do statewide annual bluegrass control trials, um, one in Knoxville, one in Nashville, one in Memphis. And we do this every year, and we pick one of these uh, intentionally to be our POA Day location. And it had been in Memphis for uh, two or three years in a row, and it just worked out this year that the site that we were going to have POA Day at in Memphis as a physical field day in which you would attend, we just didn't get the pressure we wanted. Some of the logistics weren't going to be as clear-cut as we thought going into it and had the idea, well, you know, with this Facebook Live technology has been becoming more popular, is really new. We might be able to use this at one of our other physical locations to stream the plots and then instead of 40 or 50 people coming to a traditional university field day, you could watch this from your office, your desk, wherever you were in the world, and get the content out to a wider audience. So uh, we're excited for it. March 28th at 9 o'clock, and, and fingers crossed all the technology works the way it should. Like, it'll be seamless. I'm sure there are going to be some hurdles. We've got a, a dry run planned on the 27th to try to work some of the technology kinks out. So when we truly go live, it's it's live. and. Uh, ready to go, and, and Bill Brown with AquaAid, who many listening probably know uh, very well from his uh, experience in the industry with Turf Republic, is a very tech-savvy guy and really excited about helping us try to do this because I think the potential is there for this to become, you know, almost the future of university field days in a way uh, because you could do this for other weeds. You know, we envision that if we can make the mechanics of this work for POA Day, 
Well, then the door is open to have goosegrass day later in the summer or crabgrass day. Or for somebody like my colleague, Dr. Brandon Horvath, they could have bentgrass disease program day uh, where they could stream uh, disease management plots. I really think that technology has a potential fit for what we do in university extension. We just kind of got to figure out how to best make that uh, work. That's what I love about the team at University of Tennessee. You always seem to be ahead of things, looking towards the future, not being complacent. Now, with that said, here we are in 2017. Poe has been around as long as golf courses have been around. How much interest is there in POA still in 2017, and how much of your time do you and your, your team devote to it? My team in the Weeds group, we devote a lot of time to POA. We get, we get lots of POA questions, lots of POA calls. Um, certainly it is a weed of interest to many in the golf course industry, and it seems to be um, something that people focus on every year. Um, resistance has driven a lot of that uh, as cases of herbicide resistance have evolved. For many, controlling POA in our region has become far more complicated uh, and more problematic, and that has really forced uh, many superintendents to to learn more about POA, think about their POA programs uh, maybe a little bit deeper than they had in the past. You know, one of the things that we're trying to promote, really with weed management in general, but POA has been a driver weed for this, uh, is kind of building a program you know we we're really good in the golf industry about building disease management programs uh where we think through fungicide mode of action and we've got mixtures of different modes of action and we apply these on a preventative basis to keep fungal pathogens out of out of putting greens most in most cases and we don't really do that for weeds and we're trying to drive this concept for superintendents to start thinking uh kind of programmatically about POA control and and saying, okay, well, this is the program I put into place in 2016, 2017. I know I need to change my mode of action. What am I going to do there? And then I've got to rotate again to something different in 2018. So the the guys that are really ahead of the curve are almost thinking, you know, two or three years ahead in terms of how they're going to battle POA because they know it's going to be a problem. As a researcher, what fascinates you most about studying POA and learning more about POA? Adaptability. I mean, it's, a, it's just a fascinating weed. I mean, I, I, in a lot of my talks, I mean, if there are people listening who've seen me speak, I'll cite uh, there's a, a paper out there that you know confirms the presence of uh, POA annual. We we talk about as POA in turf grass uh, on every continent, including Antarctica. And there's been a range of studies done looking at POA seed germination. I know uh, Scott McElroy, who's now a professor at Auburn, uh, when he was a graduate student, did a, a really nice set of experiments looking at the temperature range at which POA could germinate. And it's, it's wider than you would ever imagine. Uh, back when John Kaminsky was a graduate student in Maryland, you know, they did a, a nice study on golf courses in Maryland, him and Dr. Grenodin, um, looking at emergence patterns and, and you know the, the bulk of the emergence is when we traditionally think about POA coming and you know maybe late summer or early fall but the window was far far wider and I think that that adaptability is just something that makes it one of the hardest weeds that we have to control and then you layer onto that this resistance situation that we have you know I have colleagues that work in row crop agriculture that call POA the, the, the pigweed of turf 
uh, you know, that's a, a weed in uh, crop systems. Uh, Palmer amaranth, or some call it Palmer pigweed, uh, with major, major resistance problems. And POA is certainly, uh, at least in warm season systems, trending that direction. What are the frustrations in studying POA? Have there been moments where you thought you were really close to finding something out and maybe having a big breakthrough, and then you were kind of back at the start again? Are there moments like that when you're studying this type of weed? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can think, and maybe there's some recency bias in my answer here, but some of the most frustrating things about POA research and embarking on that are kind of related to weather, and there's many superintendents, I think, that would echo that based on, you know, the control programs they're trying to implement. Look at this given year, you know, this past fall, uh, Tennessee, you know, Nashville East was epically dry from, you know, the middle of September through most of October and November. If you went out and put out a, you know, a, a pre-emergence application at the recommended timing and you did everything right, we didn't have emergence when we would normally have emergence because things were so dry. And that, you know, that variable then is going to make the kind of effectiveness of those programs um, a little bit harder to predict as we get more forward into spring here. And, you know, for us trying to do pre-emergence trials, if you will, having that variable come into play where we've got kind of these epically dry conditions uh, certainly grew frustration amongst myself and those who uh, work with me. It's been kind of a strange winter and heading into spring here in the Midwest and in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. It got cold and snowy, and then it, it got warm, and people were playing golf in February in a lot of places, and then it got cold and snowy again here recently. What does that back and forth mean for POA emergence in the spring? It's difficult to say for sure. I mean, I, I do think that it's, its adaptability and its versatility will just allow it to come through a number of different things. I, you know, unlike something like crabgrass, for example, here in Tennessee right now, folks are, you know, all up in arms about crabgrass because, you know, that's just what we think about in springtime. And we had a relatively warm February and beginning of March and in places had crabgrass emergence, but heavy, heavy frost last week have really checked that back and, and taken that off the table where with something like Poe, we're not going to see that uh, kind of recalibration with a heavy frost or uh, something along those lines. I think one thing that people struggle with with POA control programs in the southeast is just that idea that there are multiple germination flushes. And, you know, if we rely solely on a pre-emergence program, it's a big ask to go from when that application would be made, you know, here in Knoxville, say, in late August, early September, for it to kind of hold water through the middle of April, knowing you're going to have these kind of crazy weather patterns with we could be really dry and then get high temperatures followed by you know i think memphis last year had 13 inches of rain in march i mean just some ungodly number um that that's just a big ask of a single application in in, you know august or september to get you that far And, and i think that's just one of the difficulties with the whole thing as somebody in your line of work how neat is it to be in tennessee you get to study all sorts of weeds on all sorts of different types of grass. How much fun is that? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better university to be at or better state to work in. With the ability to, to, to look at warm season systems and cool season systems, evaluate programs in Bermuda grass, evaluate programs in tall fescue, look at you know programs for bentgrass greens versus programs for Bermuda grass greens. That, 
that's just fun to work on and fun to work with. And then because of our location in the transition zone, I think we've got a nice look at emerging weeds that, that might not be problematic now but are going to move potentially move into different areas where there'll be new problem weeds. I mean, Kalinga is a great example of that. You know, when I, when I started at Tennessee, you know, we would struggle to find Kalinga research sites and now we struggle to find sites that don't have Kalinga in them. And I know from talking with superintendents and other colleagues north of here, even up in the Mid-Atlantic region, Kalinga is a huge problem weed now as we get into Pennsylvania and New Jersey and even up into you know, Connecticut and Massachusetts. And, and we, and we kind of saw that coming based on the shift of Kalinga through Tennessee. And uh, there's going to be other weeds, I think, that fit that model. You know, one that myself and... Uh, Jay McCurdy, who's a faculty member down at Mississippi State, are really interested in is rush species. So this is a, uh, I'll admit, a, a weed species I don't know a whole lot about right now, but one that we are um, certainly getting more questions on, seeing be more problematic in turf grass systems, and there'll be a need for more work. And it wouldn't surprise me if that presence of rush moved north uh, beyond Tennessee into, into more northern geography. We saw it with doveweed as well. You know, doveweed used to be a a uh, Gulf Coast weed, Florida Panhandle, and now, I mean, there's doveweed throughout Georgia. It's, it's crept into Tennessee now. I know it's in the Carolinas, and I think those trends will continue north as well um, to some degree. So many weeds, so many different types of grasses, so many different environments in your region. What is it like managing your time and determining what to study and when? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, we definitely focus a lot of interest on POA in, in the fall and winter season, just because that's the dominant, uh, one of the dominant weeds, I should say. I mean, we do some winter annual broadly weed control work. Um, some of that has been innovation-driven, that there, there has been some development of new technology for uh, winter annual weed management that's going to make its way into the industry in late 2017 or early 2018. So we'll put some interest there to learn more about that new technology before it hits the market so we can advise folks on how to best use it when it is available uh, for the golf course industry. And then in the summertime, I'd say the interest is, is POA in the fall and winter, and in the summer it's it's somewhat crabgrass because you, you really can't run a weed science operation and not have a feel for crabgrass because everybody just really cares about crabgrass control, particularly in the lawn care industry. But goosegrass, I think, has become... Uh, a, a huge problem throughout the southeast and in warm season systems for many of the same reasons that, that POA has, that, you know, we've got resistance cases that are becoming more problematic. We really haven't had new options for goosegrass control uh, come into the industry. We've got some uh, adaptability of goosegrass to get into different growing environments and persist in different growing environments. As we know with POA, there are, there are many, many different biotypes of POA uh, that classify as POA annua uh, in turf systems. We have different uh, biotypes or ecotypes of goosegrass that can be problematic in turf that can respond differently to different management strategies. So I, I'd say in the summer we, we, we've been focusing a lot on uh, goosegrass control as well. And one of the important things to mention is you just don't study golf. You also study lawns and athletic fields. What lessons have you learned from studying those two surfaces that help you with your golf research, and what do you learn from golf that helps you with researching lawns and athletic fields? Oh, that's a really good question, Guy. I mean, I, I, I've never been asked that before. I mean, 
The systems are all really different. Um, I think in the lawn care uh, end of things, you, the, the, those industries run on rounds or rotation that, you know, you have your round one app, your round two app, your round three app, four, and so on. And we see some of the same trends there that we have in golf where, you know, lawn care operators will put together a program for the year and they know what's going to go out in round one, round two, round three, round four, but they don't change it. And that change is a problem that we're trying to get folks to, into this idea uh, of rotation and, and, and education about herbicide mode of action and just diversifying their overall management strategy. Um, and, and that comes from conversations with golf that I think are applicable to lawn care. Sports turf is a little bit different just because the the, the stress of uh, play and you know heavy foot traffic from something like football or from soccer um, I think it changes the weed species kind of dynamics a little bit uh, one thing that they have been a leader on in sports surf that carries over to golf is they've really kind of driven the driven the interest in phrase mowing um, which for those listening that are unfamiliar phrase mowing is a technology that was developed in Europe uh, for renovating uh, soccer pitches and Essentially, uh, you would go in and remove all the above-ground growth uh, of, say, a ryegrass uh, surface. You remove the above-ground turf tissue, some of the uh, organic matter and thatch accumulation, uh, and then come in and reestablish uh, a new field from seed. And in doing so, what they figured out is the process of phrase mowing those fields, they were removing annual bluegrass seed uh, by doing that repeatedly over time. And that is serving as kind of a non-chemical uh, annual bluegrass control technique. And we're now just starting to get this into the U.S. The sports turf guys have really been a leader in figuring out how phrase mowing can work into what they're doing because not only from a weed control standpoint is, are there advantages, there are advantages from an overall turf quality or, or turf health standpoint where the surfaces will be uh, a little bit higher density, they'll traffic a little bit better. Uh, we've seen differences in spring green up coming out of winter dormancy on warm season athletic fields that have done this. There's many advantages to it, and they've kind of driven this into the, into the U.S. turf industry, and now I think there's interest in it in golf. You know, There was a, a session at uh, GIS on this uh, back in February on how phrase mowing could fit into uh, a golf kind of system, whether it would be fairways or, or tee boxes or what have you and and I think there's a real need because many you know many of these courses we're working with on resistance cases you know when you start to have two or three different modes of action in which your plants can survive your 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 solutions for poa control probably aren't going to come from a jug at that point and something more mechanical may be helpful the University of Tennessee recently unveiled a weed diagnostics center what type of asset is that for you as you do your research and what type of asset can it be for superintendents and other people that manage playing surfaces so you know thanks for asking about that i mean it it it, it grew out of need uh essentially that we were being asked to uh by golf course superintendents mainly who would have resistance issues uh, in large part to say uh, you know my my poe is not dying i need you to help me i need um I need some information here about whether this is resistant and what I could do moving forward. The demand for that got to be so much on 
our staff that we felt that there would really be a need to to formalize this and, and set up a, a formal structure to help these individuals as these, this demand wasn't going away. Uh, so I think there's a lot of potential here to help superintendents, you know, those that have taken advantage, you know, they get an answer on, well, if I've made an application and it's failed, well, why did it fail? Did it fail because I've got a resistance issue or did it fail because of an environmental factor or some other thing that's not a resistance case. You know, I'll, I'll talk a lot in uh, workshops about, you know, we need to quit the rationalization. I think everybody, myself included, goes through this list of things that could be used to rationalize why an application didn't work. Well, we didn't have the right weather, we didn't mix it right, we didn't calibrate, it was a skip, what have you. And uh, going through the process of, of, of sending in plants, it can rule out a lot of those things to get you to the right answer faster. It also can help justify uh, a potential move to a more expensive control program because now it's a justification for you as a superintendent to say, I can't use the program I've been using because we've, had, we've evolved resistance to it and I need to move into something that maybe is a little bit more of a strain on, on my budget. And then, you know, other folks that have done this, and, and I commend those who have, have approached it from a way that I didn't foresee when this started. You know, I, I kind of thought everything that we would work on through this would either be identification or it would be looking at a herbicide failure and, and trying to see if that failure was due to resistance. And we've had a couple superintendents that have sent in plants before they've treated saying, if I'm going to spend money to buy this herbicide and put it out over my golf course, then I want to make sure my plants are susceptible. And, and that's really stewardly to, to run them through these assays to make sure if I'm going to go down the road and not only buy the product but take the time and the labor to put this out the right way, I want to make sure the plants are susceptible to it. And I commend those folks for, for doing that. I didn't see that at the outset. Um, but, but those who have, I think, have, have really been uh, well served by doing so. And then the other arm that you know, we haven't really touched on so much in the in you know in this podcast is that uh, we've done a lot of uh, Bermuda grass off type work, uh, particularly in ultra dwarf Bermuda grass putting greens, and we've had several superintendents managing uh, ultra dwarf surfaces who think they may have a potential off type issue. Send in samples for a morphological diagnostic. So we look at the morphology of the grass that they think is the potential weedy off type versus the morphology of the grass that is what they uh, view as desirable, and we compare those two statistically to give them uh, kind of an indicator on yes or no, what you're seeing is truly a different grass or it's just a, uh, you know, uh, just a, a different look, so to speak. Well, we could do a whole podcast series on ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses, but our time is running out here today. Where can people go to learn more about the programs at University of Tennessee and the work you and your colleagues are doing. I know you guys are all over the place on social media and the Internet. Yeah, our, our main program website for um, the, the undergrad education program is turf.utk.edu. The website for the weed science content, so if you had questions on poa control or weed control in general, we've got a lot of fact sheets up there. Um, We've got a herbicide selection tool for POA control to kind of put you in a different mode of action to present, try to prevent resistance evolution. 
All of that can be found on TennesseeTurfGrassWeeds.org. That's all there, and then there'll be links from there to the Weed Diagnostic Center website. And if you wanted to go to the Weed Diagnostic Center website directly, you could do so. That's WeedDiagnostics.org. Uh, and as you said, you know, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, at UT Turf Weeds, and uh, my team, everyone who works in our weed science group, is, is active on Twitter, as are my colleagues, Dr. Brandon Horvath and Dr. John Sorokin. So uh, we pride ourselves on being available and reachable. So uh, if, you have any, if anybody listening has interest on uh, weed science programs or anything else we're doing here at Tennessee, we'd love to talk to you. One last reminder, POA Day is at 9 a.m., March 28th. It's going to be broadcast on Facebook Live. I know we're looking forward to the event here at GCI, and I know a lot of people in the industry are looking forward to the event. So, Dr. Brosden, we appreciate you taking the time to join us, and good luck with Poetay, and good luck with the research you're doing this year and beyond. All right. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.